Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My sister says that mommy killed her. Mommy says that I do not have a sister. <laughs> and with that, welcome to Studying Pixels, a nightmare-inducing podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simond, a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This is our Halloween special, of course, which is why we have a different intro <laughs> and our episodes. We try to be scary, but I feel like when we try to be scary, it's more like scary how Luigi's Mansion is scary, for example. You know? Yeah, a little, little bit of camp. Nothing's really going to yeah. hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> we also have to catch up with something before we dive into the actual topic, which is going to be games that actually scared us. But before we do that, we have to talk briefly about the big Silent Hill announcements that happened because we didn't get into that last week. And that's why we thought we'd address it briefly here at the beginning, because both of us, I think, are very intrigued about these Silent Hill announcements. Absolutely. Yes. I, we've talked a lot about Silent Hill on the podcast. I think it comes up every now and again. Every, every episode needs a Silent Hill segment. Yes. Until, until when and until we get an announcement like this, which is an embarrassment of riches, really, with just a million different announcements. So I don't know if Konami has some kind of a sleeper Twitter agent that was just collecting all of the feelings of want and desire from the survival horror community. But yeah, they recently announced about four or five different Silent Hill titles that are all going to be coming out in the near future. And it, it kind of seems like the throw everything at the wall and see what sticks approach a little bit. Especially because they are all so different. They're so different. And yes. I think the, the biggest news, especially for Silent Hill fans, for good or for ill, is that they are doing a full-on Silent Hill 2 remake. So this is made by Bloober Team, who recently did Layers of Fear, right, which you've yes. spookily been engaging with. And they showed a trailer that takes a lot of visual reference from PT, the playable teaser, the ill-fated playable teaser with Del Toro and Kojima-san. A lot of nods here and there to things that weren't necessarily in Silent Hill 2, but were in the PT trailer, which is interesting. So it seems like it's going to be a fully recreated game, completely done up from the, the ground up. It's not super clear how faithful it's going to be or if they're going to pull maybe a Final Fantasy VII remake kind of situation, which could be interesting. But I'll say as a huge super fan of Silent Hill 2... What makes me excited for it is that Akira Yamaoka and uh, Masahiro Ito are going to be involved, and they were both heavily involved with the original Team Silent that created the first four games. So that's good. <laughs> that's very good news. <laughs> Yamaoka is doing all of the music, which is really intriguing to me. And he's one of the best composers in video games, in my mind. I agree. He's so particularly stylized, and he has, I mean... I think up with Uematsu and people like Shimamura or Koji Kondo just has created so many songs that you would recognize in such a masterful way. So for him to be back, we heard a little bit of it in the trailer, which was kind of cool. It's very uplifting. I think 
I'm a little trepidatious because Silent Hill 2 is a masterpiece and I don't use that lightly. And this seems poor Bloober team has a lot on their shoulders <laughs> with a game like this. Totally. You referenced the Final Fantasy VII remake and I think there would have been 1,000 ways that that could have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And they must have worked so hard to get it just right. But this is really a very tough challenge to bring a game back that is so beloved that many people have memories of the of this game, Silence Hill now in this case, uh, where they idealize it, where they romanticize it, where the game is much better in, the, in their mind than it might have been at the time, right? Amplified by the just psychological involvement and the fact that many of the things that Silent Hill 2 introduced were actually quite novel at the time, including the engagement with such deep psychological themes that I, I can only hope that, that Bluber team can actually pull this off. I believe that, that they can do well. I have only played Layers of Fear, so I don't know much about their more recent work. I'm a bit surprised because I think uh, Bluber team is not that experienced when it comes to designing like third-person games and games that involve things like combat. But I do wish them all the best. Me too. <laughs> because that's going to be tough. I mean, if, if they succeed, we all have a good time. Because I do think that, you know, Silent Hill 2 and 3 and 1 and 4, actually, now that I think about it, have been really held hostage in the, the previous generation consoles. There is a remake of 2 and 3 that was really maligned that came out on the PS3 and the 360. But you kind of can't play this. And so in a way, I'm very excited for more people to get some eyes on this game. I think here's what I'll say. I, I'll reserve judgment until I play it because I really want to... I want them to succeed, and I think it looks really good. The one exception I have is, and this is just a trailer, so it may not be the final product, but there is an iconic shot of Silent Hill 2. I would say it's probably the shot of Silent Hill 2, which is James Sunderland, the main character, looking at his reflection in a dark mirror in a bathroom at the beginning of the game. And if you find a side-by-side -side of the original and what Bluebird Team has constructed, it's cartoonish how bad Bloober Teams looks. So it's a case of... It, it. Well, let me put it this way. It looks graphically very good, but cinematographically, it fails to capture what the original was going for. And so I hope that's not a portent of things to come. And I hope it's just... We had to... Konami made us put a trailer together. So here's what we have. But we'll see. So Cautiously Optimistic is the name of the game. Yeah, I feel the same way. Cautiously optimistic. Primarily, I wonder where they got the confidence from. I mean, Konami now. Because you mentioned that they left Silent Hill way back in the past. Yeah. There were a couple of newer games that were really half-hearted. I remember Silent Hill Downpour, for example, which got very mixed reviews. They cancelled Silent Hills in a very unfortunate fashion. And we know that Capcom with Resident Evil, they have always tried to really hone their heritage. They brought back the original Resident Evil. Uh, the Resident Evil 2 remake is actually a very much beloved remake in the Resident Evil series. So then I'm wondering where this comes from all of a sudden that Konami, after doing years of pachinko machines, yeah. basically yeah. stepped to the stage and said, like, by the way, we're back in a big time. It's something that I think will make for a very good Studying Pixels episode in the future. <laughs> With yeah. Why did they go back to this? Because my only guess is that we're kind of in a lovely survival horror resurgence right now. I won't go into this, but the Resident Evil 4 remake trailer also came out. And Capcom, like you said, has had crazy success with the remakes they've been doing. Both the remakes and the new material they've been doing for Resident Evil. So obviously that's their biggest competitor. But then we also have all the million space horror games that are coming out. We have the kind of groundswell of indie horror games that have really taken people by storm. I think it's maybe we're just in that era again where horror is a little elevated. And Konami recognizes that they have an elevated horror series just waiting to be utilized. And I'll say that's a good segue into the other announcements, which I won't spend as much time on just because I'm not as passionate. I'm just excited about these. And we don't know that much about the other games. No, not at all. So the first that I thought was really very interesting is Silent Hill Townfall, which is a great name. And this is being put together by Annapurna Interactive, which I think is a match made in heaven, Silent Hill and Annapurna. And it's almost as if A24, the movie studio, is making a Silent Hill film. And 
it seems like it may be an episodic release, kind of like a um, Telltale kind of situation, which I think would be pretty smart. Sort of like a Silent Hill miniseries in video game form. Seems pretty interesting. So I don't know a whole lot about it, but I'm in. <laughs> yeah, this is actually Annapurna Interactive is the publisher, but I think the developer is No Code, right? Yes, yeah, thank you. And they made uh, Stories Untold. So they uh, Stories Untold, that's like a horror game where you sit at a desk and you interact with all kinds of stuff. It's really like 80s, 90, early 90s themed, if I recall correctly. And Silent Hill Townfall, their game, is the one that I'm looking forward to the most. Because, yes, okay, Silent Hill 2 remake, nice. If everything turns out well, then it's going to be cool. If it doesn't go well, well it's going to be at least interesting. Yeah. But with Townfall, we've got no clue where this is going to go. And I expect them to be something, to make something relatively creative, probably from a stationary perspective that is very thematically and aesthetically consistent with this kind of, you know, interacting with photorealistic objects, doing a little bit of adventuring, puzzling, bringing things together while uncovering the story of the protagonist, who we don't know who that possibly might be. So yeah, I think there's a lot of mystery revolved around Townfall, and that's why that's the one that I'm most curious about. I'll tell you what, I really, I'm excited for No Code's involvement because the teaser trailer was, it had a, um, a radio. What's going on with that radio for all of our Silent Hill fans? So very important thing in, in the Silent Hill mythos. And I would love if this is a case where you're just somebody at a desk hearing different people's experiences in Silent Hill, maybe trying to guide them through or help them, something like that. What a great idea. So we'll see. But I think that's, it has a lot of potential there. The second one, that I'm really interested in is Silent Hill F is all it's called, lowercase f. And this is a really cool departure because it's set in 1960s Japan. And it seems to be unrelated to the previous Silent Hill games. I think it's going for more of an aesthetic kind of atmospheric connection to those original games. And I'm all for it. It's a spooky 1960s Japan. There's a lot of political intrigue that you could get into, a lot of post-World War II feelings that you could dive into in a small town in rural Japan. Seems like a really great idea. So we'll see about that. It's a great setup. I mean, who knows what it will become eventually. Yeah. And then uh, lastly, too, that I think I'm a little more lukewarm on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Silent Hill Ascension seems like a live event or like an augmented reality kind of thing where everybody's playing at once. Seems kind of silly for the world of Silent Hill, but I'll give it a shot. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah. I don't know either. When I saw this, I got this weird feeling. You know, not every series is really cut out to become a major franchise. Yeah. And often a series fails, especially we've seen that with horror series in the past several times, such as Dead Space, when they try to overshoot the goal when they try to become the new thing, the brand, like the the universe that everyone's involved in and so on. I think that's just too much because Silent Hill is something actually quite specific and I can't imagine it to be an MMO. It, it might be something along the lines, I could imagine like an asymmetric multiplayer game such as Dead by Daylight and so on. Maybe something going in that direction, but do we really need that in the context of the Silent Hill world? I'm not quite, I'm not sure. No, I think, I think you're right. I think it's, it shines in its specificity and games like Homecoming and Downpour, which are kind of the black sheep of the, of the series, they tried to generalize and make things broader and it just, it didn't work. So we'll see. I think the, before we get into the last announcement, which is more of a cheeky one, what I'm really excited about is that this might have the potential to open up franchises like this to be anthology series where it's just a licensed title and different people get to make their version of it and we don't really worry about canon or things relating to one another it's just this is a great idea i have a story i want to tell in this world sort of like the twilight zone of video games i think that would be really cool and i hope that this proves successful enough that that's a viable option yeah, it has a little bit of this vibe of when when Doom came came out and when they made they made it available to everyone to mod the game and put their own stuff in. I didn't expect this 
from Konami no. to be so uh, <laughs> liberal about this about this series because it's really one of the main things that they that they have that they're making making money on. But I think it's a very attractive idea, and certainly it will enrich video game culture and the engagement with Silent Hill. Whether always in a positive manner, we'll have to see. But at least there's some promising ideas and pitches there. Definitely. Lastly, our old friend Christoph Gans is back to direct another film called Return to Silent Hill. I'll, I'll continue in my vein of cautious optimism because I think the first Silent Hill game, or I'm sorry, the first Silent Hill film, not a fantastic adaptation of the first Silent Hill game, but aesthetically captures the world of Silent Hill perfectly. So I, I think he has an eye for the world and I'm interested to see where he takes it, especially, gosh, nearly like 20 years <laughs> after you made the first film. So a lot of intriguing stuff there. I think it's probably going to be most attractive for those people that haven't really been engaging much with Silent Hill because this will be an adaptation of Silent Hill 2, right? Yeah, it's going into James's story. Yeah, it's like a probably a dense, a shortened version of the Silent Hill 2 story. And I would say that from the from the oeuvre of the director, I would guess that it's probably going to be a very well and thoroughly made film. In the conversation and the interview that they add, it also seemed like he's very committed to the source material, which is always a good sign. Yeah, I think um, he kind of teased at the end of Silent Hill 1, the first movie, that he there were some nods that it was clear he wanted to tell James's story as well, because that film kind of ends with a husband going to Silent Hill, which for Silent Hill 2 fans is pretty familiar. So I think he definitely has some interest in it. And good. I, I want to see what he does. I think it's going to be cool. There are actually already two Silent Hill films, right? Yes, Silent Hill. And then I think it's called Silent Hill. It's one of those, like, reno I was going to say renovations. Silent uh, renovations. Yeah. <laughs> Renovation. <laughs> They're flipping the town. Uh, what is it? Resurrections or Revelations? Something like that. Yeah, sanitation. Sanitation. <laughs> something, like, something like that. Yep. Which they, they loosely follow Silent Hill 1 and Silent Hill 3. So Silent Hill 2 has remained largely untouched since, well, unless you count all of the times that the Silent Hill franchise has tried to reiterate on it in different stories. So yeah, I think rife for good storytelling. So bon chance. Bon chance. And on a, on a closing note on that matter, I just wanted to say briefly that actually I like Silent Hill Downpour a lot more than I've let on so far. Because I do remember that when I played Silent Hill Downpour, I knew that it got relatively mixed criticism but then there's a scene at the very beginning where you have a fight in a prison in a prison showers and it's such a such a visceral experience at the time it felt so visceral to me because you're fighting a terrible criminal who is though almost entirely naked yeah and you have to repeatedly stab him with a knife and that sequence that kind of cracked me open for this vulnerability of the human body and this kind of all the sensation of like guilt but also disgust of killing that man even though he's so such a terrible person i think it really starts on a high note it does and i should say too i think that that protagonist has one of the best silent hill names of all time murphy pendleton yes <laughs> fantastic so yeah I, I think downpour is more middle of the road for me but i don't think it deserves all the hate it gets so i'm with you well, before we now go into our stories of games that actually scared us, a brief thank you to all of you out there who support us and help us make this show happen by subscribing to Studying Pixels Plus. That is our Patreon program where you can get all of our episodes entirely ad-free. You'll get a lovely sticker that says I am studying pixels and monthly plus episodes. Some of them go deep into video game culture, others give you tips in order to help you study or write a term paper or prepare your next presentation. It's really helpful and we try to mix both of these aspects, the academic one and the video game culture one together so that every other month there should be something that's right up your alley. If you're curious about that, then you can go to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more. And here we are with our Halloween special talking about games that actually scared us. We just collected a bunch of anecdotes from our video game biography that really impressed us and shake us to the core still nowadays. 
think we we can stay in the domain of Silent Hill for a while longer, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I should say before we launch in, I think the this topic is really interesting to me because, you know, the more you play video games, the more you watch horror movies, the more you read stories, the more you kind of see behind the curtain and you see things coming. So it's harder for things to really get to you, I think. So this was fun for me because I had to look back and think, when was I really unsettled or scared playing a game? And I've got a few good ones, I think. I think the first one that I have is exactly based on that experience. Because when PT came out (laughs) in 2014, I was already at a point where I had played quite a lot of horror games. I'd seen quite a lot of things, you know, things like, you know, the Slender Man nine pages or what it was, and Amnesia and all of these things. They had already been out by that time. And um, so PT is a playable teaser. That's what it stands for, for a at the time, new Silent Hill game that was supposed to be developed as a cooperation between Hideo Kojima, Guillermo del Toro, and Norman Reedus, playing the main character. But nobody knew that at the time, because I was involved very early on with uh, PT. It suddenly appeared on the PlayStation Store. I think this was in the context of the E3 or something, but it was it was not really announced. There was no announcement, no no public release or something it was just it just popped up all of a sudden there's pt by this ominous studio that had just like a combination of numbers in the title and nobody knew what exactly it was so people started downloading it including myself and found themselves in an endlessly looping corridor of like a small flat where you just walk through from a first person perspective and they already nailed this feeling of just while you take the first couple of steps you already feel so immersed and so absorbed within that corridor so claustrophobic that it has such an immediate impact on me. And over time, you explore this family tragedy that happened there. A f- what do you call it? Family side? I think there's this name for it even. Where oh, I don't know. I don't know for a full yeah, family. Yeah, I think this is. I think this is actually a thing. Like a there's actually a term for it where fathers or husbands uh, kill their family. And in this case, the father killed his pregnant wife Lisa. It's haunting because the setup is already really. So uh, put yourself back in 2014. There's no announcement. There's no notice that this is happening. So it's already kind of spooky that what you find out to be a Silent Hill teaser just kind of appears. And then you realize that all these big name people are involved in it. That's awesome. But then you play it and it's genuinely one of the most terrifying experiences you'll ever have. It's unsettling. It's There's jump scares. There's also like very creepy David Lynchian talking fetuses yes. in it it's it's all kinds of scary it's so good and it's impossible to get now <laughs> which adds to the mystique i think i think the 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 sink baby that you just uh, yeah. referenced made for one of the most iconic images within horror video games i've ever seen because you you go into this into this dark rotten dirty bathroom that you've heard creepy noises before and when you enter it there's a a fetus or what looks like similar to a fetus, like a mutated fetus. It looks like the eraser head baby to yeah. me. Like it just looks like this horrible thing. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, a horrible yeah. little thing in the sink that just starts crying, I think, right? Yeah. Or even starts yeah. talking to you. I, I don't it quite It starts know. talking. It starts talking to you in a relatively, in a weird, weirdly deep voice. <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> Lynchian, I think that's actually a perfect comparison. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really, really wonderfully executed. To the degree that it scares you on all levels. What I actually find most interesting about this is that you're being stalked by the ghost of Lisa, by the dead wife. And she has this iconic cry. So you always hear like, (laughs) while you go through this corridor. It's really chilling. And the thing is that you always feel like she's right behind you. You turn around several times. There's even a, a sequence where you stand in front of a radio and the announcer on the radio suddenly says, look behind you. I said, look behind you. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, though, what they actually, after the entire thing went down, I'm going to come into the actual story that happened afterwards in a moment. But according to some hacked in-game footage, it is indeed the case that from the beginning of the game, when you enter the corridor, the character model of Lisa is attached to your back, (laughs) to the back of the character. So she is always behind you. And when you turn around, she's just turning with you, basically. And it's only a matter of time until she suddenly reaches out and grabs you. 
it's so brilliant and it's it's such a shame that this game didn't come to fruition but on the other hand it's almost better as a horror story the way that this whole thing played out this thing that was never explicitly announced that never came to be it's just this you can't get it you can't it's not on the playstation store my favorite part of this story is that ps4s that have this downloaded go for like a thousand dollars on ebay (laughs) yeah so it's this like urban legend which i feel like we don't get anymore with video games and i I feel like it's kind of like the the beautiful tombstone of this creepy thing that you can't get anymore yeah you're totally right the fact that you can't get it anymore only amplifies uh, its creepiness it doesn't exist anymore i remember that i had it downloaded on my console and of course i didn't delete it there was a time when Konami, they basically had a huge clash with Hideo Kojima and they cancelled the game. They said, there's no no Silent Hills anymore, so we want to get rid of that playable teaser. How do you get rid of that? Well, the first thing is you take it off the store so people can't download it anymore. But then still, even if you do that, you can still re-download it in case you have it bought already. And, And so they shut that function down as well. That must have taken quite some negotiation with Sony, get the game entirely out of the store. And then you still have the problem that there are people that have the game on a console. So what they did actually, if, I, if I'm not mistaken here, because that happened to me then, they released a patch in quotation marks that would automatically install and break the game on your console so that you can't start it anymore. And you can't start it anymore, you can't download it anymore, you can't purchase it anymore. And that's why if you wanted to keep it, you had to take your console off the internet and then you can have it on your hard drive and you can sell it for like three times, four times the value of the console originally. And you know, on the one hand, physical media forever. This is the reason why yeah. you have <laughs> physical discs. But on the other hand, it just adds to the story. And now you, it's, it was wiped from the store. It's the theme of all of my scary moments. And I think what I realized about myself putting this list together is that I get very scared by something that I feel like I shouldn't be engaging with, like it's a secret, or I stumbled into something that I wasn't meant to. And I just feel like this is such a great example of, not only was it a mystery from the beginning, it's been destroyed. (laughs) Yeah, It's like they piled it all up and burned it. Do you think in like 50 years, someone is gonna, some kid is gonna purchase a very old dusty console at a garage sale, carry it home to turn it on and be like, hey, there's a game installed on there. What is this? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. But can I tell one more thing about, about PT that really frightened yeah, me? Yeah, of course. I think because yeah. that was one of the most effective things. While it was still online and while I was still playing it, you know, it has this very intricate puzzle structure. And mm. it is impossible to figure out PT just like that. It was deliberately designed by Kojima-san in a way that the internet would come together as a community and try and crack these puzzles. Um, Just as an example, in one sequence you have to find fragments of a torn-up picture, and one of the fragments you find in the menu of the game. So it goes all meta in that regard. It also simulates the console crashing several times. Complete with a bug. Yeah, complete. Yes, exactly, (laughs) with a bug. Uh, But the final step in PT... I remember I was stuck there because I was like, how do you complete this game? Is there an ending? Nobody knew. And people were like furiously trying things out online. You can go in a loop, but it just goes on endlessly. And then there were there was talk of some people. Some people apparently have unlocked some kind of a sequence at the end and it's supposed to be a teaser for a new Silent Hill game. And it's actually the... And how do you do that? People were not able to reliably reproduce any results. And over time, then, it turned out that it's like an elaborate puzzle where you need to, you know, you need to combine some numbers of the develop, the fake developer studio name, and you need to get some biblical references going there. <laughs> Until <laughs> it turned out that w- at least one crucial part was that you had to activate your microphone, your PS4 microphone, and you had to whisper the name Jareth into the microphone. It, it had to register properly, so sometimes you have to do it several times. And Jareth is a biblical murderer, right, who killed his family. And so you sit there, or at God, least I, <laughs> I sat there at home in the dark after wandering this corridor endlessly and looking online, what do I have to do? And I'm just like, come on, this can't be real. This is probably just, you know, some kind of people trolling on the internet, but I'm going to try it. And I sit there in the dark and I'm, Jareth, Jareth. <laughs> and then suddenly it's like boo and the phone rings and it's like oh, you've God, been it's... chosen 
Oh God, that was just that it's was amazing. So good. <laughs> oh man, what? Don't never forget what they took from us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it was amazing. Absolutely a, a one of a kind experience. Probably the scariest video game experience that I ever had in my life. Thank you, Hideo Kojima. Yes, and hopefully we get something, something in the future, a horror game like that. That's God. So he, no one uses the medium like Kojima does. Yeah, but that's a story for another day. Well, my my first one is also a Silent Hill story, and it's a single line that recontextualizes everything you've ever done in a Silent Hill game up to this point. In Silent Hill Three, you play as Heather, and you're going to the town to avenge your father, Harry, and. When you get there, you meet this creepy character named Vincent, who's part of the Silent Hill cult. And at one point, you're talking to him in a library, and Heather says, I don't understand what you're doing in here with all those monsters outside. Because in Silent Hill, all of the enemies that you fight are these grotesque monsters that look like they're just pieces of body horror, they're like zombie-esque, they're very, they're terrifying, they're otherworldly nightmare creatures. Heather says, you know, there are all these monsters out there and vincent looks at heather and says monsters they look like monsters to you <laughs> and heather gasps and he just goes relax it's just a joke and that moment to me because it it makes you think about particularly moments in silent hill 2 where you find notes on corpses of these monsters that seem written by people and you think at first oh well maybe they just maybe this person was killed or I, I don't know something, but you hear this one line and all of a sudden you remember that everybody kind of sees what they sees their own version of silent Hill. So you start thinking, Oh my God, what was I doing <laughs> in silent Hill too? What was James doing? What was he seeing? What was Harry seeing? Right. All of this kind of horror of the town is still messing with you up to this point. It's such a brilliant line. And that line, they look like monsters to you, is the scariest thing I think I've ever felt in a video game. <laughs> it completely pulls the rug out from under you. Yeah. And in a way that's not kitschy or lame. And it's just one line. It's not like the plot of the game or, you know, anything like that. It's just, oh, that's that's interesting that they look like monsters to you. <laughs> he doesn't even say how dare you kill them or anything like that. Especially that then he goes on to say, relax, it's just a joke so that you, so that you don't really know what, what, what do you mean by that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. I think I'm, I'm a little lukewarm on kind of the cult stuff in Silent Hill, which is funny to say, because a lot of the story revolves around it, but man, there's some good scares from it. Yeah, totally. I actually have got a story of a game that not that many people are aware of, I think. That's my second story. It's Tokyo Dark Remembrance, a game that was developed by Cherry Mochi in 2020. It's based on the original that came out in 2017 already, and I played it on the Nintendo Switch. Tokyo Dark is a Japanese point-and-click, and it has a very heavy visual novel influences. So you do a lot of talking, a lot of decision-making, and small puzzles. The puzzles are actually not like challenges in themselves. And you play as Detective Ito Ayami, who investigates the murder of her partner. And she explores the Tokyo underbelly. That's why the game is called Tokyo Dark. Of course, supernatural elements come into play. And Detective Ito is kind of on the verge of losing her sanity. You have to manage her sanity all this time. Now, the, the entire game is pretty creepy. The title image of our episode, actually, if you've seen that, is from is a screenshot from Tokyo Dark Remembrance, just so that people get a sense of the aesthetics. But one thing in particular struck me, and that's a setting in the game. It is a sequence in Aokigahara, vast forest at the feet of Mount Fuji, also called uh, uh, the Suicide Forest. It's a, it's a forest that is very unique because it grew on the lava soil that basically splurged out from uh, Mount Fuji. And that means that, have you been there actually, Dan? I have. In Aokigata. So you know much more about it than I do. And you can describe it much better than I can. It is. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's a couple of things going into the history of it. So yes, as you said, it grew out of the, the leavings of Mount Fuji's eruptions. So it's a dense forest where you can get turned around very easily. And there's all of these warning signs outside of it. It's a really, it, it's an inherently creepy place. So there's some debate about what started the suicide forest name. I believe that it came from in the 60s. There was a novel written about kind of regaining samurai composure. And the idea was that ritual suicide is a great way to honor yourself. And so 
the author said that Aokigahara is the best place to do it. And so that kind of reinvigorated it. But there's there's evidence that this had been going on for much longer than that. And that it's this place that just draws people. You get lost. You feel melancholy. It's it's a terrifying place, honestly. Yeah. And it's actually since the 1970s, police and, and rangers, forest rangers, they annually search the entire forest to clear, clear it out of bodies because there's so many people. It's one of the most popular suicide sites uh, in Japan. There are signs, I have a picture of myself with it somewhere deep in my camera roll of there's Japanese signs that say suicide is not the way. There are people who love you. There are people who want you to be alive. Just signs like this all over the the edge of the forest. Yeah, including hotlines, support hotlines, and the signs that say, you know, think of your friends, think of your family. So they are clearly aware, the government is clearly aware of what's going on. In 2010, I looked up the numbers, there were 200 attempted suicides in Aokigahara alone, and 54 uh, suicides where people actually went through with it. It's a very, a very terrible story and a very terrible context, of course, and a very serious one. Japan actually does not publicize the numbers anymore of suicides, specifically in Aokigahara, because they want to change the reputation of the forest. It is, as you said, something like it's a cultural myth, a cultural story that basically revives itself over and over again whenever such a thing happens. And it is, at least from everything that I've seen, I've done a little bit of research on it, a, a very beautiful forest as well. A stunningly beautiful forest with vast stretches of ice caves and very specific landscape and nature that's truly to be admired. My favorite little tidbit is Aokigahara literally means the sea of blue trees. It's a, it's a beautiful, it is beautiful. It's shockingly beautiful. But you, I'll say that my own experience with it because I, I've climbed Fuji, which was wonderful, and I've been to Fuji twice, once to climb it and once to stay just around the base. And at that time I went, and you're allowed to go in. They don't stop you from going in, but it is shocking. I've never experienced this. The moment you walk through the trees, sound cuts out. It's so dense, you can't hear anything other than yourself walking. It's very strange. Unfortunately, the forest also gains notoriety once more in 2017 when the YouTuber Logan Paul, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I couldn't go without mentioning him. I know, you. we have to bring him up. <laughs> I have to bring him up. Unfortunately, he is now tied to this infamous forest as well because he did a kind of a road trip uh, YouTube journal thing. And uh, he found a body in that forest, which is not all too surprising considering that he ventured just like straight into what is called the suicide forest, responsible as the... They went looking for it. They went looking for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They specifically went looking for bodies. Speaking of lost media, you can't find this vlog on his channel on YouTube anymore because obviously he took it down. And and YouTube, I think, still takes it down, but you can find it. And it's very clear that they went in with an intent. They They wanted the scandal. They wanted to find a body. They wanted the shock. They wanted to film the shock. And what they did is they also filmed the body and put it up on... On YouTube, we don't have to go yeah, into that. Whole, whole other episode. <laughs> yeah, the whole, that's a story in itself. But the thing is, yeah, everyone knows that forest. At the latest in 2017, even the younger generation got acquainted with Aokigahara. Where was I? I was talking about Tokyo Dark, about the video game. Yes, of course. Because <laughs> in that video game, you go into Aokigahara. There's a sequence where you travel to that forest twice, actually. It's part of the story that you uncover that you have to go to Aokigahara because there is a suicide cult and you're following in their tracks and you're trying to figure out what they have done and unveil the terrible past of that suicide cult. And as you walk through the forest, it's so beautifully designed in Tokyo Dark. You only can go from left to right. It's like a 2D thing. In the back, you see, like, occasionally in between the trees, you see, like, a body hanging. So it's like, you could say it's distasteful in that sense, but it all contributes to this sense of eeriness and horror, including, of course, uh, you know, the children's voices singing and so on. It's like, it's truly scary, especially when uh, you ultimately come to the point where you are at the compound of that suicide cult and you find out basically that they committed like a mass suicide ritual in order to, as is typically uh, for, for Japanese mythology, to kind of cross the barrier between the living and the dead and to imbue one little girl that was amongst them with a kind of special power who you would then, as Detective Ito, have to stop later on. Needless to say, Detective Ito does not leave the forest unscathed 
And for me, it was just knowing, knowing this context about this nickname of the suicide forest and then seeing how it's represented in Tokyo Dark. I found it so deeply unsettling that it's one of the experiences, one of the few experiences where a game legitimately scared me. That kind of background and atmosphere does a lot. And when you, when you already have the shorthand of the real place and then it starts kind of throwing things at you that you would be afraid to see if you were to actually go there, I think that that's a different level of terror when you play a game like that. And at the same time, I think it's super important that I want to emphasize, I have not been there but uh, I have looked at some material online because I've written an analysis on Tokyo Dark and on that particular sequence. From everything that I've seen, it's a, it's a majestic forest that is very well worth you know, visiting and traversing. I know that there are also specific paths that you can walk where they make sure that you don't do what Logan Paul did, but where you basically, you come there to actually be inspired by the beauty of, of the nature and this extraordinary place that like this doesn't exist anywhere else on the globe. So I think I would probably not be scared going there, but I would probably be humble because of knowing the history of the place. I think that's a that's a great attitude to have because it is it is breathtaking. There really isn't, as you said. I mean, it's it's a marvel of nature that that place exists in the way that it does, and it's so it's so beautiful. It it reminds me of when I was living in in Japan. I climbed Mount Misen in one of the islands of of Japan, and I I looked at the top of it, and you look around, and the Shinto religion is very natural. It deals with the profane and the sacred and things like this, and you look around Japan and you go, of course, a religion about the beauty of nature would come out of a place like this because it's just, it's incredible. So yes, it's not all spooky. <laughs> exactly. It's it's totally understandable that the the Japanese government would not be too amazed about the fact that it has this reputation considering it has so many other assets to be admired as well. Absolutely. Well, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of national fear, I'm going to talk about the... American, I've just called it American bleakness, and that is Dead Rising, the first game. Dead Rising. Yes. Dead Rising is a very campy, B-movie-esque game about zombies overrunning a mall, where you play as journalist Frank West, who's covered wars, you know, and he's going into this mall that's had an outbreak of zombies to get the scoop. <laughs> but you know, when I think of Dead Rising... Isn't that like a comedy game? It's very funny, but I think like a great film from the 70s or early 80s, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there's a level of comedy, of black comedy that's in it that only really works because it's juxtaposed with the true bleakness of that game. Okay. So I played this game when I was maybe 14. And I had a very particular experience with it where I played it on a very small TV in my bedroom. And I would usually play it in the dark. And I would play it with headphones on. And the thing about that game is that the sound design of the zombies, especially as the days go on, gets more grisly and terrifying. It's never over the top. It's always very subtle. But that compared with the Muzak playing in the mall, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, it's very unsettling. And the story revolves around this government cover-up of a, a virus that was created in an American lab in Santa Cabeza, where the goal of it was not to create a bioweapon. It was just to manufacture a way to produce more meat for Americans. So it was to make like super cows, basically. <laughs> and it turned into a zombie virus. And to me, there's so many different moments in that game, like fighting the different psychopaths that are the boss characters. There's a clown who loses his mind. There's a Vietnam veteran who has a major flashback. They're all very visceral. And I think none of the those characters are played as a joke. They're all played very seriously. And it, to me, is just this it's all set in a mall, so there's all this American capitalism and and sort of excess going on. And there's just this feeling to me of seeing kind of the downfall in real time of all of these things that Americans hold dear. And to me, it was very unsettling. And the moment that really 
stuck with me is underneath the mall is a parking structure and there's thousands of zombies down there. And the idea of getting stuck in a parking garage without zombies is terrifying to me. So throw in a thousand zombies and it's one of the, just the word I would use is bleak. And it it's just stuck with me. And the games have gotten sillier over time, but that first one has a lot of really good atmosphere in it. And I, I have some terrifying memories of plugging that game in in the dark in my tiny bedroom in Tennessee. At the beginning, I was a little bit confused about Dead Rising, but now I increasingly understand what you mean because I could also imagine being uh, 14 years old and maybe just at the point where one starts to think more critically about the world around them and then being confronted with such a bleak view on American capitalism in which one grew up, you know, in which you grew up until then. That can be quite unsettling, I guess, because it, not only does it give you a kind of shock value, but it also rattles on some foundations of, yeah, of, of the identity of a, of a country with, as you said, capitalism, the Vietnam War, the meat production, um, you know. It's very pointed. And I think Dead Rising doesn't get enough credit for being smart because it is silly. But I think whoever at Capcom has their finger on the pulse of American culture, give that person a raise because <laughs> between, between Dead Rising and Resident Evil, there's just this, they are locked in to American fear, I think. And yeah, Dead Rising, for all of its silliness, I think the thing that scares me the most about it is that obviously it takes a lot of cues from George Romero's Dawn of the Dead to the point where the game actually says this has nothing to do with Dawn of the Dead on the cover of it. And what I think it takes a step further though, because George Romero didn't really go into too much themes in Dawn of the Dead. It was more sort of, isn't this a scary idea? Let's explore it a little bit. Dead Rising is all about the terror of consumption and what it means to just want more without getting any kind of nutrition or any any benefit. It's a it's a very if you've laughed at Dead Rising, I encourage you to go back and take it seriously and i think you'll have a new lens on it yeah especially because when you think of it as a child being locked up in a mall is is kind of an idea where you think oh cool then i can play all the games and i can go into the sweet section and i can nibble on everything and then you kind of uh, see this dark reflection of it of you're not the one who's doing the consuming here but you are being consumed yes Oh, uh, we'll leave it there. Yeah, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a break here because afterwards I've got a story about a game that certainly nobody's going to expect on that list. And we'll be right back. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
And we are back with our Halloween special talking about video games that actually scared us. And as promised, here's one that probably nobody would expect. Mission Impossible. Yeah, <laughs> Mission Impossible. But Infogrames 1998. This is a game that's loosely based on the movie. I played it on the first PlayStation when I was still very young. Mm -hmm. I was about, what was it? 10 years old at the time. And there's a mission in Mission Impossible, as one might figure, where you infiltrate the Russian embassy. Now that in itself is very terrifying. That's in itself is very terrifying, <laughs> of course. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the first mission that you engage in in the game is relatively unspectacular. It's like, you know, a winter mission where you do a little bit of sneaking, a little bit of shooting. But then the second mission is truly the highlight of the game. You infiltrate this embassy, you're undercover, and the entire mission design is super engaging. I think it's still one of the best designed missions and levels that I've seen in a long time. You are disguised as a waiter in this embassy. There's a reception taking place. And your goal is to gain access to the top secret level that is obviously strictly guarded. And you have to do various things. Even some of the things you can decide to do, but you don't have to. For example, you can plant smoke bombs in a couple of vents and then you can set them off to cause a distraction. You can spike the drink of a guard. You can lure out the general who is at the embassy by having the piano player in the lobby play his favorite song. You have to, I think you have to even collect his, the, the note sheet and give it to the piano player and say, like, can you play this song? You know, it's like, it's very intricate. This is surprisingly complex for a game for, about Mission Impossible. It's pretty good. Obviously, you have to imagine this game has a drawing distance where you can you cannot see the end of the corridor because it's just fog, basically. <laughs> but, but yes, it's really well designed. You can also obtain a disguise and then you can go into the upper levels. But it's, I'm only going to talk about the first part. You're undercover and you can and should do some of these things while being on a timer. So there's like a fuse at the bottom of the screen and it's like slowly going down. You've got quite some time, but you need to watch out. You need to watch for the clock. It's basically Hitman before Hitman came out. That's that's how I experienced it. Yeah, okay, cool. That in itself is tense, but not necessarily scary. What does make it scary, though, or what did make it scary for me, is that there is also another undercover agent at the embassy that you are aware of. And that other agent is a lady called Schofield. And she wears this long red dress. And what she does is she basically follows you around constantly always watching over your shoulder. She knows that you're up to something and her mission is basically to eliminate you. And whatever you do, she's always following you around, trying to prevent you from, you know, pulling any stunts and trying to kill you if she has the opportunity to do so in secret. So not only do you need to solve this kind of elaborate environmental puzzle, but you also need to watch out that you're never alone with Schofield because she will kill you. If you go into the bathrooms, I distinctly remember that. There are some, some sequences where you can, and you have to, partially, I think, walk into the bathrooms. If she catches you on her own in that bathroom, she will draw a gun and she will immediately shoot you. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the, the only thing that you can do is, at, at that point, I mean, you can either beat her up, which is pretty difficult, or... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good option, yeah. <laughs> hey, you're Tom Cruise. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the, the true terror. <laughs> yes. yes. Being Tom Cruise. Being Tom Cruise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you can have this kind of uh, weapon where you can, I don't know how to call this, like where you have like a, a, a small pipe and you can put it in your mouth and you can spit. Oh, like a blow dart. Like, like a blow dart. Yes, a blow dart. Yeah. A blow dart so that you can uh, inject her with a tranquilizer. It's just such a tense thing. I remember distinctly walking around in this embassy trying to, you know, peep into conversations here and there, remaining casual while, you know, putting a smoke bomb here and there in the vents. And suddenly it's like, ah, it's Scoville, Schofield, you know, and quickly turn around in the other direction. The lady in red. Yeah, and the lady in red, she always pursues you. I think the low technical fidelity of that game amplified this kind of scary effect of like, Scoville, oh no, where is she? You know, is she there again? You can see at the end of the corridor walking towards you. I feel like that that kind of mechanic is like it those are the things that stick with you though because it's it's the idea of all right what's the worst that happens I get a game over okay but there's something about the tension of never knowing where they are and being just it's well it's like what you were saying with PT where we discovered that Lisa's model is behind you the whole time 
That's yeah. really scary. <laughs> I, I tell you, this was the predecessor of alien isolation. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you have the... Around every corner. Yeah, well, you have the aliens stalk you in a very complex fashion. Ex except for in Mission Impossible, I think her AI was just programmed as always follow the player, basically. Yeah, always yeah. follow the player, always stay near the player and kill them as soon as, you know, no other character has their vision on them or something. Yeah, like a like a femme fatale Mr. X from Resident Evil 2. Oh my <laughs> Just god. Always around the corner. That was so oh, scary. Man. That was so scary. It's so I'm telling you that man. Sometimes it's the things you're not expecting. Sometimes yeah. you're expecting to be scared, but when you're not, that's when it really gets you and it sticks with you. Especially when Speaking you're of. when you're a kid. Sorry, just one thing. When you're a kid, yeah, yeah. then you don't really have the kind of rationale to think through like, "Oh, okay, so this is how the AI works." So I can do this and that to prevent it from happening. Instead, you just feel like I'm being stalked by this hostile agent do. who's on to me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, <laughs> I was not a kid when I played this one. But it's one that I don't think people would think is scary. And I understand that. But it stuck with me in a very creepy way. So it's been a while. So I'm going to bring up Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. I have one from... And this is, I think, strange, but I don't know how many people have played this one. It's the weirdest title of a Kingdom Hearts game. It's Kingdom Hearts 0.2, <laughs> A Fragmentary Passage. And that's not the scary part. I've never heard of that game. How many games are there in this series? <laughs> a million and two, I think. But the, this is a story that follows one of the characters named Aqua from Birth by Sleep in her kind of adventures in the realm of darkness it's sort of a in-between quill that we see what she was doing during the events of the other games. And it's it's only about a couple hours. It's not very long. I think realistically, it was a test to see how Unreal would look with Kingdom Hearts. And so they put a little effort into that. Kind of a PT of Kingdom Hearts 3, honestly. <laughs> but it ended up happening. So the moment I'm talking about is, I, I'm not going to get bogged down in the lore, but there's a, there's a moment where... Aqua is talking to someone who she believes to be her friend. And halfway through the conversation, his voice changes. You realize that it's not the friend anymore. Oh, God. It's someone who's trying to get information out of her in a really devious way. And there's something that stuck with me so much about talking to someone who you recognize as a trustworthy person, only to be completely taken aback by what they're trying to get out of you. In a game like Kingdom Hearts, which is very fantastical and very, you know, blatant in its theming and messaging. That to me is a very subtle, scary thing that it never really touches on again, but it's an aspect of the villain, Xehanort. It belies his ultimate representation, which is the idea that you're playing a game where you're controlling someone, and at any moment, the villain can control other people in the game. It's really effective in that. And I think that moment made me understand the plot of the later games a little bit more. And it also made me think about how scary it is to control someone <laughs> in a game. That's really amazing. I mean, apart from the fact that it obviously gives a lot more insight on the uh, on the lore and on your understanding of the plot of the series, just this, uh, this brief tie-in of this body snatches uh, concept, th that is so profoundly frightening. It's great. And it sneaks up on you. And I think it's like any good horror, it's a surprise. And I think you kind of realize it. We've talked about this before too, how good horror gets you because you realize it just seconds before the main character does. And then you realize they're not getting it. And then you think, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't yeah. be tricked. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You realize like, oh no, this is really happening. Yeah. So really great moment in a otherwise kind of sleeper game that i think is uh, not talked about enough well i have a last story from a game that is creepy because i haven't played it actually <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> this is kingpin life of crime by xatrix entertainment 1999 so also another another very old game another early game yeah yes i i have never played this but a school friend told me about it back in the day when I was mere, let's say, 11, maybe 12 years old. Uh, this is a first-person shooter. I'm describing it, first of all, objectively what it is. A first-person shooter where the protagonist 
is brutalized by a couple of gang members and goes out to seek revenge. The game was temporarily banned because it came out shortly after the Columbine High School Massacre. So it was, straight from the get-go, it was involved in this controversy, in this entire debate revolving around video games and violence, and what video games might do to people who play them. The game in itself is explicit and particularly bleak. I watched some gameplay material of it because I just wanted to get a hold of what is this game. But the most terrifying thing is that my friend may or may not have vastly exaggerated the explicitness of violence in this game. He told me things that happen in this game and that you do or have to do in this game where I was just speechless. I was so scared of this game. I was too scared to look it up for a long time. <laughs> and also, at the time, there was it wasn't like you could just go on YouTube and watch some gameplay footage. All you had was a friend who told you about this ominous video game that is so gruesome beyond comparison and all the things that it could do to people. And you're just thinking like, oh, but I like video games. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want them to hurt me. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you're so scared and your fantasy exaggerates everything. And looking back on it, the game is not, is not particularly, it's, it is violent. It is explicit. It is rather like, you know, like a scruffy game where you're like this dude and it's like, you know, like this kind of thing. It's like a Duke Nukem, a <laughs> little bit trashy shooting gallery, basically. But the mystique of it. Yeah, yeah, the mystique. And in my mind, the fact, maybe exactly because I've never played it, it always has this kind of frightening aura. Kingpin, the game that you don't want to play, basically. That's such a relatable experience because I can't think of a game like that. But I know I had movies when I was a kid where my friends, I remember specifically <laughs> the original TV movie for It, Stephen King's It. All my friends said, you can't watch this. It's the scariest thing in the world. So I didn't watch it until I was maybe 13 or 14. And it's, it's Tim Curry being camp the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that those are really precious memories of me for me are being told on the school ground, don't, don't do this. It's scary. You don't want to get involved because they, they just stick out in my mind as things that we're never going to live up to the hype. But I think it's important to have a couple of those I won't go near that thing because Kingpin terrifies me. Yeah, my friend. It has yeah. this creepy pasta <laughs> effect where you, yes, you don't yeah, yeah. even need to see it. You don't even need to experience it yourself. The horror comes just from the stories that are told around it. Yeah. Well, I think then I'll bring us home with a story that's about my life. It's not really about the game. So when I was living in Japan, I lived in a tiny town in Tokyo called Ikegami. And it was a really nice town. But being a foreigner in Japan can be very difficult. You feel very alienated. And so there's this kind of barrier of otherness that you have to deal with. Mm. And one of the ways that I dealt with that was I had my 3DS and I had Shovel Knight downloaded on it. And I played Shovel Knight on the train when I was going to and from work. And one night I was getting off the train and it was quiet and there was no one around. It was dark. It was maybe 11 o'clock at night. And... I got off the train and I, I was still playing my DS because it was just a short walk to my apartment. Oh, you were playing while uh, walking home? I was playing while walking, yeah. Because oh, mm -hmm. it was, it's, you know, Japan is, as a, as a man in particular, you feel very safe walking around. And, you know, it's a small sleepy town. All the shops are closed up. There's maybe a couple of lights on in the apartments above the shops, but there's really nothing going on. It's very quiet. I think I was on the last train too. They didn't run that late near me. So I was walking back and it was maybe three blocks to my apartment. And on the second block, there was an alleyway, dark alleyway to my right. And I'd seen it a million times in the daytime, just where people park their bikes and things like this. But I was playing Shovel Knight. I was about maybe halfway through. And I just had the music on kind of low as I was walking through. I had one of my headphones in. It was just an earbud. I had that in and out of my right ear, I heard moaning. And I, it was really low, kind of pained, like, oh, that kind of moaning sound. And I walk into the alley because I was, I was worried someone was hurt. And the reason I did this is because it's not uncommon in Japan <laughs> to late at night see an older man drunk, Being drunk just on kind the, of yeah. mm -hmm. on the floor, right? And so yeah. you go and you help them because they're always nice about it. <laughs> so I thought, oh, it might be that. 
because I had just done that maybe a week ago in the, in one of the train stations, there was an old guy who, an old Saturday man who was sitting there and he, <laughs> he was just absolutely, I, I, he, he can't remember me. That's how far gone yeah. this guy was. Okay. So I'm walking in the alleyway and I walk and I, I keep hearing it and I get to the end of the alleyway and there's no one there. And I turn around and I'm thinking, oh, it might be coming from a window, but I look up and there's no apartments above the alleyway. It's just a Don Quixote uh, store, like a convenience store. And then another, it was like a parking garage that was right to the right of me. And so I just remember hearing like Shovel Knight music in my head, in my left ear, as I heard this moaning. And when I got to the end of the alleyway, it stopped. And so I very quickly walked home. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. I'm not partaking in a Japanese horror movie. No, nope, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was a trick of the, you know, of the acoustics in the area. And maybe I was hearing something from another area or something like that. I hope if it, someone was hurt, I hope they're okay. But I was not about to stick around and find out. <laughs> maybe, it, I mean, maybe it came from like the other side of the street and it echoed back in the alleyway and you heard it just louder on the right side because that's where you had your, where you didn't have an earbud in. I think that's got to be it, right? Because I... And I, I'm trying to remember what was on the other side. I think it was probably, I mean, it was probably like a bank of apartments because that's kind of where I lived, right? It was like a nice little apartment building. So I don't know. It might have, it might have been nothing. It might have been a movie. I don't know. It might have been a ghost. You know, probably a ghost. It might have been a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just assume that that was your ghost encounter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, and shovel knight was there to see me through it. So <laughs> <laughs> with the, yeah, with the shovel with shovel knight as a soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, happy Halloween, everybody. Thank you so very much for listening to our little creepy Halloween special talking about games that actually scared us. Let us know what games scared you in particular. You can reach out to us at any point on studyingpixels.com contact. And if you want to help us make this show happen, then please feel free to check out Studying Pixels. Plus, we will be there for you again next week. See you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.